Cheers, man. Nice to see you. Nice whiskey on a beautiful day. Yeah. For the past week, I've been used to hotter, but yeah. So Vegas is hot, right? 40, yeah, Vegas way, 45, way too hot. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy hot. It's sure it ends quickly though. It's, I mean, it feels like summer's ending. You know, I guess that's what fall is. It's just that time of year. Yeah. Got to let it go. I'm just so addicted to my boat and weather's so hot. You want to dive into our Pacific Ocean. Yeah. I heard that you got a new boat. Yeah. Really been enjoying it. Yeah. It's been yeah. such an amazing summer. A couple of friends uh, and I uh, were thinking about getting a boat together. Um, but it's too much maintenance for me. It is a lot. Yeah. You gotta have at least one person in your buddy partnership. That's like fanatical yeah. because somebody, somebody needs to own it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, almost constant. I mean, you need people to help you with it. Right. Yeah. I don't, unless you want to get in there and crank on wrenches yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like to know a lot about what's going on in the boat, but, um, I mean, I spent most of my day there on one day on the weekend because I like it, but I'm more just like, I like installing stuff. Yeah. I don't like repairing stuff. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like I upgrading, just, redesigning, adding functionality, yeah. stuff like that, but pulling something apart and putting it back together just to change a seal. Not very fun Yeah. For me. No, no. Cause you know, you're not seeing any real changes. Right? Yeah. Sort of yeah. like what we do. It's, we want to see a dramatic, a, uh, a leap forward, whether it's in boats, cars or whatever, right? I'm into motorcycles. So, mm -hmm. uh, I do the exact same thing. If I have a oil change or changing a seal, like what you said, I just bring it to the dealer. But, uh, uh, I just two months ago, I installed a, uh, a clear clutch cover on my wife's, uh, Ducati. Um, so now you can see the clutch spinning cool. and it took me, I'll say, two and a half weeks to do and <laughs> i spent about 200 percent over what i would have paid if i had somebody else do it but you wanted to do it <laughs> i wanted to do it. i enjoyed yeah. it you know i just go down there um in my garage um on a uh after dinner and uh after my daughter goes to sleep and then i just work away at it until like 12 a.m and yeah. then go back up and take a shower and go to bed but my wife hated it because i was covered in grease all the time yeah um and i broke it so I took the timing belt off by accident because I didn't even know what it was first time tinkering with motorcycles. And uh, I started it up and then the engine was off time. So it's just like the valves got shot. Yeah. Um, luckily, the dealer was like, yeah, it's going to cost you 12 grand to uh, fix it. And I said, no, just, I'm going to just sell it for scrap. And at that point, because yeah. the whole bike was like $20,000. So I'm not going to spend 12000 just fixing one valve, right? Yeah. And um um, and, uh, I brought it to a friend who knows motorcycles very well. And he was like, Oh no, I got it. And then he fixed it for me for like 400 bucks. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. yeah. He's like, it's bent, but it's, it's within tolerance. Yeah. I said, okay, I got lucky on that one. Oh, totally. Yeah. My wife is like, don't do it again. I'm like, no, this, this is going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> I guaranteed. Oh, that's funny. I didn't know you were so into bikes. It's cool. No, it's, I mean, bike is one thing, right? It's more about figuring things out. Like my, like we're on, uh, I was, um, was telling about Vegas. Uh, this is the first trip after I got married that I took my entire family, like my in-laws, my wife, my kid, uh, my parents out and like, I paid for everything. Right. Like it was the first time I did that. And, nice. um, uh, my dad was telling me over dinner that I keep on, I broke so many of his things when I was a kid because I just kept on opening them up to see how it works. The most expensive thing I I, uh, I took a part of his was a um, 
I, I, I don't know what the name is in English. It's, um, it, I think it's Rado or something. It's a watch. Oh, and yeah. uh, it was his first, like, over, like, he was back in China in, like, the 90s, right? And then uh, it was the first expensive thing he ever gotten. And I smashed it on a radiator just to see why the, uh, um, the clock hands were moving. Really? And how it worked. And he was like... <laughs> <laughs> you had to be patient yeah yeah exactly right there yeah but it was an old one it was a ceramic type um it was a ceramic band everything was ceramic um Gosh, he still that's... has it yeah he still has it the the only weak part on it was the uh the glass and i broke that <laughs> so, that's funny um but yeah i just like taking things apart and seeing how everything works and uh now you know getting into more complicated things mechanics do so um motorcycles um i i change all my own spark plugs i change we'll my go back to your dad for a second Vegas. Yeah. so when he said that uh and you'd taken your whole family for this trip I'm imagining he was like, said it in a nice way, like in a toast. He, oh yeah. He was like, I'm so proud of you that you could do this for all of us. And well, I, started I mean, as a baby figure and shit out. Yeah. I mean, there's a saying in China, it's like, like the first 30 years, people respect you because of your dad. And then the next 30 years, people respect you because of you or respect your dad because of you. Right. Oh, and he's nice. like, now we're in the second 30 years. Oh, right? so nice. And, uh, you know, out there in business, nobody knows Alex anymore. Right. Rarely do people go and find Alex. And even if they do, he doesn't know what to say to them. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm quite proud of that. He is. He's not saying it. I got him drunk and this is the first time he said it to me. Oh, nice. Uh, in front of the whole family. I was really happy deep down to hear that. Of but, course. you know, it's, 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 you know, I just want him to know that, you know, it's your, you know, your son's grown up and uh, you don't have to worry about me anymore. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of what he meant by the whole thing. It's the first 30 years, people respect you, not because of you. People respect you because of who your father is. And then now people respect your father because of who his son is. And so uh, nice. yeah, it's, it's something that uh, he's, he, you know, he's the type of guy that would go on all day, all every day when he's sitting there with you, we go on hunting trips when we were kids and all these parables, all these stories yeah. is what we listened to growing up, me and my brother. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've met your dad only a couple of times and yeah, he's I remember a rare he's, sight. he's what he's a rare sight. Yeah. For yeah. everybody, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember he was, he was really into hunting though. I think he found out that I hunted or that I'd just been hunting or something. And he was showing a picture of, uh, all these deer he shot on some trip yeah. some place where the, the limit was like, not what I'm used to. Yeah. Know? It's outrageous. Private, it's, private farm or something. No, no, no. It's, uh, uh, Haida Gwaii. So, um, up in Haida Gwaii, deer population is a real issue. So, uh, every year each hunter or every time each hunter or when it's open season, at least, uh, each hunter would go on the island. They would receive uh, five tags. So we would always fly there. And, uh, you know, it's funny because the government actually spends hundreds and hundreds and thousands of dollars paying hunters or paying professional hunters to eradicate all the deer because they were just eating up all the crops. Oh, really? Yeah. And, you know, we're pretty much doing them a favor, right? Yeah. So we would go there with six families or six people with licenses um, like, um, th that was growing up. My mom would stay in the, uh, uh, in the motel and stay in town. It was a small town. It was like 3000 people on the entire Island. Um, and, uh, my dad, myself, my brother, we would all just go out for the day and then come back with like 20 deer. 
right? Mm-hmm. And they were just everywhere. It's at, at, like after you shoot one and you walk on the same trail while they're they're gutting the deer, you're walking for like two more minutes and you see another one just standing there and then you shoot it and then they would drive up, gut that deer, and then you would move on. <laughs> you keep walking and you keep on seeing deer, right? And um, yeah, but wow. we were... Uh, uh, we're very, like, we eat everything. Like the, in Chinese culture, yeah, we eat everything. Like nothing goes to waste. Um, I remember my dad, he's, he's like saying, uh, um, deer heart blood, like the, the blood in the heart is a, uh, is very good for you. It's good for a human heart. And he's like, okay, I'm going to drink it. And then he grabs a straw, puts it in. I guess he put it in the wrong artery. And then it was like a clot. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> And he gagged on it? Yeah, he was like, this is, this is like blood tofu. I mean, yeah, you're probably in the wrong valve. And then he, he, he retried it and it worked. It was like red blood. But um, we, and then we would <laughs> cut the heart up and then we would eat it. Yeah, like right there, there, like then, like that's our lunch. The liver and the heart was our lunch. Raw? No, no. <laughs> No, no, we will cook it up. Oh, you um, drink blood, but you don't eat raw heart. I'm so crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I'm, I'm bad. So you made a fire, it. you sizzle it up. Yeah, we made a fire, cook it up. We, uh, on our truck, we have everything. So that's how I grew up here. You know, my dad, he, um, he fully embraced himself, um, in the Canadian culture. Like the moment he landed, he's like, I'm not going back. When was that? It was the early 2000s. I think it was 2001. And what brought him here originally? So, you know, it's funny because I was telling you about Vegas. Um, Vegas was the first place he's ever been to in North America because uh, during that time in the 80s, 90s, Chinese people couldn't get a visa to come to the U.S. or or in Canada. So the only way he could come uh, to North America was by invitation only. So... Uh, there was a guy local in our city um, back in China, and uh, um, he got to pull a couple connections, and he was able to pull off uh, a the real hotel in Las Vegas to send him a um, invitation. But there was a catch, right? Like, we'll pay for everything, your flight, everything, but you had to play for twelve hours a day. Yeah, and <laughs> that is so savage. Yeah, you have to play for twelve hours a day so up to a certain point. If you lose all your money, you're good. You don't have to play twelve hours, but you have to you have to like uh, put in two hundred thousand dollars into the account, into the Rio's account, and then you have to gamble with that money. If you wow. lose everything, you're good. If you don't and you win, you got to keep playing the twelve hours a day until you know the fifth day or something. And uh, that was the first time they went to the U.S. Uh, it was funny because he was uh, he was telling me he's like I actually won he was like I won <laughs> and they were not happy yeah right and um, the casino guy um, the person who sent the invitation was like well, you, you can't just leave with winnings right like we invited you here we paid for your flight we paid for your villa like you can't just leave right and then my dad got pissed off he was like what do you mean I can't just leave yeah so he, he 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 took like. 10,000 US dollars at that time in like the, the late 80s. He just sat down at a table and he did 5,000 or sorry, 500 a hand, like at that time, 500 a hand on Baccarat. And until he lost like 5K. And then the guy was like, okay, that's enough. You, you know, I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah. And then he left. So that was the first time he ever been to the US. But 
that's not the that's that's not why he wanted to move to to the U.S. Right? Like he he went around Vegas. He um, after uh, Las Vegas, he was able to go to Los Angeles, and that's where he fell in love. Like he was like, my kids have to grow up here. Like there's nowhere else I want them to grow up. He wanted us to get out of that you know it's socialist kind of environment in china right so he said um to my mom at the time he says this is where we're gonna go la he said this is where we're gonna move our family and um you know a couple of years later they went back to vegas a couple of times to get a good record you know and we're coming to the u.s and we're leaving we're coming to the u.s and leaving and uh, eventually they applied for their immigration and got denied uh, to, Canada, the US, US. to the u.s huh. And uh, he was like, okay, what's the next thing? What year is this, 2000? It was like the in the 90s. It was late in the 90s. 90s, late late 90s. My brother wasn't even born that time. Like My brother was uh, 2001. Uh, and um, uh, after that, he was like, okay, so where do we go next? And uh, he, the immigration consultant they hired at the time was like, well, why don't you try Canada? Canada is opening up their gates. You know, they want investment immigrants uh, to Quebec, uh, to uh, Montreal. So why don't you try applying there? And he's like, okay, we'll, we'll give it a shot, right? And then sure enough, in the uh, early 2000s, so like two, three years after applying, they got approved. Uh, and then right away, just packed everything, moved here to Canada. He said, okay, from Canada, once we get our status, we'll immigrate to the U.S., but the second step never happened because he just fell in love with Canada. <laughs> like he's like LA, like screw LA, right? Like yeah, it's, 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 it's so much better. There was a lot more Chinese people like he, that he wanted to see. There was a lot more um, uh, diversification, I'd say, um, versus the US and Canada. And uh, he just, no, he just stopped there. He's like, let's just pause, hit you the mean pause diversification button. Mean diversity. Diversity, yeah, yes, yeah, diversity yeah. of uh, people. Yeah. And uh, he's, let's just hit the pause button. Cool. Let's just rest here and see what happens, right? Yeah. And, you know, here we are, 20 25, years. Late, 25 yeah. years later, here we are. That's cool. What was he doing in China? Like, how so, did he afford things? Yeah, he was in, uh, my, my dad was in the uh, food production business. Um, he made... What was it? He made ice cream and snacks and then sold them all over China. Yeah. Cool. But his real calling was always like real estate. He would tell me now he's saying, man, it's it, there's a, another saying, one of his sayings, right? It's not his saying, but a lot of people say this. It's uh, um, in China, it's um, women are only afraid of marrying the wrong men and men are only afraid of being in the wrong industry. And he said that he was in the wrong industry. He says food was, it's just not the right. And the margins are so low. Yeah. You work just as hard, if not harder. And you got so many more hurdles to get across, to yeah. jump across. And uh, he's like, I should have gotten real estate back yeah. in the early, uh, uh, late nineties. And he would have uh, made a killing there. And we probably never would have immigrated to Canada, which, you know, in hindsight, it's a blessing in disguise because me, my brother, my sister, we got to grow up in this, you know, th this type of environment where we were encouraged to explore what we wanted to do. We were encouraged to uh, seek out our passions rather than being told what you should be doing. Yeah. And uh, that's where, you know, that's, I think, changed my life. 
not just his. Yeah. Right? And I think he achieved his goal. He wanted to change his kids' lives, and you know, here we are. And you know, yeah, now I think I, I'm, I'm not, you know, super successful, but I think you know I'm on the right track. Definitely. So your dad, I mean, he started building houses right away, right? Early 2000? No, he uh, he actually started off carrying lumber on a uh, uh, on the construction site. So we just did a groundbreaking, and I was going to tell that story, and people were like, yeah, just don't. It's not realistic. But it, I want to know it. Yeah, but it's the truth, right? Like it's because like like we had to set this up. So he's he's getting personally invited to drop two hundred grand in Vegas, yeah, from selling ice cream and snack food, you know, yeah. across China, yeah. and then he comes here and he's carrying lumber on a construction site. Yeah, but I mean, I didn't tell you how he got there. He got there in a BMW, right? Like, <laughs> but then that's how much he wanted to get into the construction industry, to the development industry. Really. Yeah, he just wanted to see how everything worked. And the only job that he could get without any English was labor, was manual labor. Yeah. So the first thing he did was, and that's the truth, you know, that's why I, we didn't want to say it in the speech format because you can't go and explain, you know, all that. And, you know, in, 20, in 15 years, this is how much we build our company to. Uh, but he, uh, he started off by carrying lumber and then... Um, um, basically getting know, uh, getting to know all the trays that, that were on site. And uh, he ended up uh, knowing, uh, getting to know this builder quite well. Uh, and uh, he asked him to build his own house, but only under one condition. It's he had to see everything. Like he, he had to oversee everything, sign off on everything. And uh, that's how he got started. It's building one single house for our own family to live in. And then uh, people saw his house and he was like, oh, this is, this looks great, right? Can you build my house? And then the other guys, can you build my house? And then some of his friends came over, moved their life over and said, can you build my house? And then, you know, 20, 30 houses later, those people became more than friends because, you know, reputation, quality is our utmost concern. And uh, they're still friends now. The first guy my dad built a house for, he's... I mean, yeah, I won't say any names, but he, you know, he himself, it's a developer now as well. And uh, I think they still stay in touch. And um, yeah, that's how he got started. One house after another. And he's still doing that today. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And did you guys go into townhomes or straight into condos from there? No, we didn't go into townhomes at all. Um, uh, townhomes, it, it didn't feel like enough of a challenge for me. So a little background how we got into multifamily development. So uh, right after university, I was like, you know, I was just- UBC? No, SFU. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was saying to my uh, parents, I said, why are we building these many houses, right? Like it's the same amount of work to build a condo. Um, you just need a couple more people on your team. And they said, no, 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 no. We don't want to try that. It's, it's too much risk. Uh, we, you know, everything's perfect right now. And, um, uh, I said, well, why don't I, you know, talk to some realtors? Cause I knew a lot of realtors at the time. And I said, why don't I talk to a couple of people and let's see if we can find a good site. And sure enough, we did. So we found a, um, what is currently the McKinnon site that was built by Cressy. So that was the largest strata assembly, um, at the time in, uh, in Westside Vancouver, it was like 50 units that, uh, the strata units that we assembled. And uh, we designed the building, was going to take it through. And, uh, you know, my parents got cold feet. 
and I was a translator at the time, and I was helping them translate. I was, you know, uh, um, helping them try to figure things out, figuring out things myself as well. And um, um, they said, no, this is, we got a good offer on the table. Let's just sell it. And they did. Uh, but that gave us our first shot at multifamily development. We saw the uptake and, you know, the good side to real estate. And they were like, okay, let's try again. Right. And then we were actually friends with um, the guy who owned uh, Dumber Lumber. Um, and that's where the gray is right now. Because uh, uh, my dad bought lumber from his yard when he was doing uh, construction from uh, single family homes. So he said, uh, he, and the guy owned the apartment building right next door. It was a rental building. And he was like, okay, I'll sell all this to you. I'm going to move my shop elsewhere for this amount of money. And then, you know, with that money, we earned from uh, McKinnon, the, the Cressy deal. Uh, we acquired what is now the grape. And uh, we were going to try to replicate the same thing. But then that's where we met you. You know, the market was just... It was just going nuts at the time, right? 20, I think 16. Yeah. Yeah. Like they were saying, oh, $800 a square foot. And we're like, oh, that's great. You know, it's, it's, we can do it. And then a month later, it was like $900 a square foot and then $10,000 a square foot, 1100. And then where did we end up? I think when we launched, it was like 15, 1600. And, um, uh, thank God we sold at that price because construction costs is all, you know, they also rose. Because this amount of construction that was happening, all the trades were charging, you know, outrageous amounts. Um, but that's where we got our first taste of real estate or development. And that's, you know, not land flipping. And then we're, you know, I said, I actually, I, I heard this quote from a realtor friend of mine. He was an old, old timer in his, like, he's, he's late 80s now. He said to me, I asked him, I said, why don't everybody just flip land? You know, I was like 21. No, I was 19 at the time. I said, why don't we just flip land, at, you know, as a business? Because it's so good. Because, you know, look what we made on the uh, Cressy deal. And he was like, Austin, I'll tell you one thing. I've spoken with the owner of Polygon. He says, the owner of Polygon does not believe in land flipping because it doesn't create jobs. It doesn't, you know, put our economy forward. It doesn't put money back in people's pockets. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do it's anything. It's a tax. It's a tax, exactly. And you're making it harder for real homeowners to buy homes after, right? Like land prices are higher, so condo prices are going to be higher. And you're not really generating any value to what it is that you're doing or to the community that you're operating in. And how long do you think you can replicate that business model? And I've never met the, you know, the owner of Polygon, but at the time I, I did know, you know, they're one of the biggest developers here. So I said, okay, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And I told the same story to my, you know, I, I basically translated that story to, for my parents and uh, you know, they didn't fully understand, but I think they already knew that. I think they already knew that, you know, land flipping wasn't going to be a replicate. You know, you can't replicate that too many times because it's, you know, eventually that, that game's going to die out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were, I, I like to think, or yeah, I do think that we were one of the first immigrant developers or late immigrant developers that uh, started a development company and actually is trying to go legitimate, right? Trying to compete with the big guys, the Bozes, the Polygons, the Concours out there. And um, 
I think we have over the years acquired enough land in good locations to now try to compete with those people. And, um, yeah, sorry, I'm getting a little lost. No, no, <laughs> it's a good story, man. I was getting lost in it. Yeah. And I don't want it to end. Yeah. Um, but I mean, first of all, what you said about immigrants, like we're can't all Canada, all Canadian families are immigrant families. That's just the nature of it. That's yeah. sort of why we're all here. It's just a case of when for me, it was my great, great grandfather, Sidney Augustus Good mm-hmm. that, um, got off the Mayflower, one of these ships from England. Is that the wrong one? <laughs> that was a long time ago anyways. Um, yeah, it's just a case of when, right? It's when and, and how it all came to be. So after the Grey, what was your next project? It was um, actually during the Grey. It was when we were designing it. We acquired um, w what is W68 today on the uh, corner of uh, Granville and 68th. I like to call that the gateway to Vancouver. Good one. It's 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 it was one of the first places you see or I saw yeah. um, when we first arrived here because like you know you you land at YVR. Maybe literally from well literally exactly yeah. yeah like geographically that's where you come first if you're coming to Vancouver yeah right like the first thing we did we got we you know we got to YVR and we crossed the bridge coming to Vancouver and you see or what was this old Safeway site right or, or uh, where West Bank built their um, 70th and Granville building. That's the first thing you see. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, you know, I, I like to call it, this is a welcome. Like You see the sign, welcome to Vancouver, but really you don't see anything yet. You see a bunch of trees, a gas station and yeah. a couple of buildings. And then when you really see the nicer, the newer buildings, that's, you know, people that, that that's what the first impression of Vancouver should be. Beautiful buildings. So, and uh, I know you own other properties in Vancouver too, but you're all about Surrey these days. Yeah, you know, I think um, we we were one of the first, one of the first. You, you, uh, I think uh, Belfort was the first with the Sun Tower site in Burnaby, but we were uh, right after them in in Burnaby. At the time, people were calling us crazy, like like my, you know, I I showed my my parents the site, and they were like. Yeah, I don't think Burnaby is the right market for us because we're trying to do quality homes, luxury homes, right? We want something to be proud of. And I said, eventually, Burnaby is going to catch up. Anyways, we acquired the site and uh, when nobody else was looking at Burnaby. And I think we're doing that. And look at where Burnaby is now, right? It's Some people can't even afford homes in Burnaby. Mm. But the same trend will happen, right? It's going to radiate out to the other cities. Surrey is going to be the next big thing. Like that's, it's, you know, I, I probably shouldn't be saying this here, but I guess a lot of people already know. Yeah. Right. Surrey is going to be the next city. It is the only city with enough land to accommodate real development. Right. Um, Vancouver is just tapped out. Like downtown Vancouver, if you want to build something, landmark building, and you have to go downtown Vancouver. But where are you going to find a piece of vacant land that you can do something on? Right. And with the approval times, it's, it's, financially, it doesn't make any sense. So now, you know, we're looking at Surrey. The cities are, you know, the city staff is great. We got a great planner. We were able to get the project through really quickly. And, you know, here we are launching hopefully before the end of the year. And October, it's only been right? two years. Yeah. October? Well, hopefully October. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Actually, yeah. Tomorrow we'll know. Yeah. We'll, we'll know tomorrow. But, um, um, 
And you have more coming than just this first tower. Yeah. Called core. Yeah. Right? We have more coming. Yeah. Uh, but, exciting. Uh, currently in the application phase, we have, uh, for sure another one. Um, but you know, it's, our eyes are open, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep looking or keeping, uh, we're keeping our eyes open searching. Well, it's a good start with core. I mean, you couldn't get a better location. Well, you can't, you can't, that's where everything begins, right? Yeah. It's where city hall is. It's like, it's where you call downtown Surrey. Yeah. Yeah. Across the street from the best station from my old school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went to school there. Yeah. I took a couple classes there. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like, like, like I have, I've had coconut button. <laughs> from where my current tenant is really? when I was going to school. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That must be somewhat satisfying. Well, it is. And that's, it, it's the same thing with all of our sites. Metrotown on Telford. That's where I used to sneak into movies in Metropolis, right? And it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, we would, we would bus, we'd take the, we'd take the SkyTrain and uh, we'd come in and I, 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 on the SkyTrain, you'll see exactly where my current building will be. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, you know, and then we get off, sneak into a movie or buy one ticket, go into the next movie. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we did when we were younger here, right? <laughs> W68s, I had like tutor classes there all the time. Really? Right? The gray. I live there now, but, you know, that's where, uh, that's where me and my dad would carry to load lumber into our trucks. Yeah. Right? Like it's every single site that we acquire, it's a site that we have deep connections to. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're going to go into Surrey, it's bold to go with, you know, such a tall tower in the absolute best location, well, why not? the best site in Surrey. Why not? Right. Yeah. But why? What was your thinking there? Well, it's, I, I, I don't want to say if you build it, they'll come because, you know, it's, and I just came back from Vegas, right? That, I think that's what Wayne said, right? Like it, 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 for, for some scenarios, it just doesn't make any sense, but I don't think people are blind to see quality. Right. Like it's, if you're going to do something quality in Surrey, this is where you start. Now you can't expect people to pay for something that's, you know, going to be outrageous compared to where the market value is for that location. If you know, you're building garbage and right? yeah. like it's, it's, it, or even if you build, you know, like Vancouver standards or the West Van standards out in Surrey somewhere that's not important People aren't going to pay that money for it. But if you build it in a city center and like, this is where everything began, there's a story for you to tell, right? Like you as the marketer, how are you going to sell that story? Because everybody knows location, location, location is the fundamentals of real estate. So, you know, there you go. You, I got that problem solved for you already, right? Now we're coming out with a quality product that we are going to be proud of and you guys won't have any trouble selling, hopefully, right? <laughs> yeah, I know it looks easy from the outside. The but the trouble is in this market and markets like this with so much fear, you know, so much negative publicity and whatnot is, it's just people are just thinking, you know, I often said about our part of the real estate industry, the pre-sale part that, um, that it's maybe the most fickle, even more fickle than the regular real estate market. Cause people looking for a home need a home. So they buy when they need a home and the market goes up and down in the resale world, um, sort of on somewhat regular cycles. Right. Some people say every seven years, but that's a true yeah. cycle. Yeah. In the pre-sale part, it's really in my mind, a measure of the sentiment of the people. Like it's our market isn't real. You know, it's sort of, it's like a, almost a derivative of how people feel about the regular real estate market. It is, but it's also sort of like 
another Vegas analogy, but it's sort of betting on the future. Right? Absolutely. Is. It is. It's, it's, yeah. it, it, you're, I, I'd argue that, you know, when you say this is not a true market, it, it is just not now. No, I know. I'm taking it too far. It yeah. is definitely a true market. It's yeah. huge. Um, and it is, you know, people ask me all the time too about how, what percentage of the buyers were investors. It's like my father-in-law's favorite question. Uh, cause he's 80 Yeah, and, uh, and those guys love that kind of thing. Yeah, um, but what, yeah, but my answer is a hundred uh, and a hundred percent. And it's not, I don't call them investors, but I call them investment minded buyers. Yeah. Whether they're going to live there or not, they're not sure half the time. Well, that's what real estate is, right? Is it, especially it's resale, though. Like if you don't think you could probably go buy something used every project of ours, you look at, you could go buy something used for cheaper just down the street and you can live there right away. If that's what you need, if you're buying presale, it's because you're looking into the future, you're planning way ahead, and you believe the market is going to go up in the long term. If you don't, no one would ever buy. Like, yeah. there is no pre-sale buyer out there that does not believe that. Yeah, but the thing is, I, I agree with you, what you said earlier, 100%, because when you buy real estate, it doesn't matter if you're going to live in it or not. Yeah. Whether you're renting it out, whether you're living in it, it's an investment. It's still an investment because you're expecting to earn money when you sell it. Mm-hmm. Or are you expecting to sell it? Because they, they always say that real estate is the only thing that's, uh, you know, is the only thing that goes against inflation, right? Like it's the only thing that's inflation proof. So whether you're living in it today or you're buying it to rent out or whatever, yeah, or, you know, whatever you want to do in your home, it's still an investment. So 100% of the people that buy pre-sale or resale are investment-minded people. So, you know, with pre-sale, the only difference is you're buying into the future. You're you're, you're saying, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna not really bet. It's not a gamble. It's it's just a matter of time. It's I think in five years that the market is gonna be here. If it's not, it's gonna be there in seven years. It will be. And you know, we, we were just debating this whole matter. It's it may be true or maybe not, right? Like I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a, a financials guy. You know, I'm not a, you know just sitting on Wall Street analyzing numbers. But my dad and I we had a heated debate on this. He I said, you know, why are people so fearful right now? And he said, and he's not educated, right? So he does what he said. He said, look at the stock market. Why do you think people put out press releases right before, you know, their uh, their year end? Why do people or why does when Elon Musk tweets something, their stocks can go up and down or down, you know, by a thousand percent is because the news is always going to be more fearful to people than the actual like impacts. Right. So um, when you were saying like, I think you said something earlier and I was going to say um, the real data or like the, the, the real data or the real prices of real estate is always going to slowly creep. It's like gold. Land is like gold. And that's something we never see in China. Right? And that's part of the reason why we came here uh, is because you can never own land. But here, when you buy a piece of land, it's yours. Like it's yours. There's no question. You pay your taxes, you pay your dues, it's yours forever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, you know, real estate, that's what you're investing in. You're investing in the piece of land, right? And it doesn't matter if it's strata condo or a single family home. It's still a piece of land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess I'm a little biased when I say this, but as a developer, I think that real estate is always going to go up um, and, you know, or else I wouldn't be in this business. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it is. It's just a case of when. I mean, it's gone up, I think, uh, over the past 100 years, the average is 5% a year. It's not how. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's frankly an amazing number. But this idea of recession proofing that you mentioned is an interesting one. It's like, you know, recession is becoming just a huge, bigger and bigger issue. They just keep printing more money and uh, um, I don't see it sort of going away. And you can't put your money with the big banks, you know, they're just not paying enough. You know, I think inflation last year was seven and three quarters percent or something, as someone told me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a crazy number. And they've been manipulating the basket to the, the real number, the old number is actually worse. But anyways, it's bad enough. But owning as much real estate as you can is a good way to protect yourself. As you can. Yeah. yeah, as you can. Like it's, you know, don't, you know, don't sell a kidney or anything and buy a home. But, you know, that's why we're in Surrey, right? It's a cheaper market, slightly cheaper, but it doesn't mean sacrifice or it doesn't mean sacrificing on quality. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking to the, we're speaking to those kind of buyers that it's, you know, I, we still want quality homes because like, okay, like you buy a home five years later, 10 years later, somebody else, if you want to sell it, somebody else has to buy it. If that building is garbage, who's going to buy it from you, right? For a good price. Yeah. Nobody, right? So that goes against the inflation theory that we were just talking about. Yeah. So that's why as developers myself, like it's, it's, we're always trying to build that quality home for people because in 10 years, that's where you start to see the real value in your home, right? At the gray, um, I live there right now. One of my neighbors was telling me that one of the homes downstairs sold for like $300,000 over what we sold it at as developers. And I was like jumping out of my chair to hear that not only do the remaining homes that we own increase in price, but it shows that people really truly feel that even after two years after completion, that there is still value to the building and that is still appreciating. And that's what we're trying to aim for. Right. Mm -hmm. I never want to say, I want to sell the absolute highest price and take every single dollar from the homeowner. No, I want them to earn money on my buildings, on my units, on my condos, because if they do, they're going to come back. No doubt. Right? It's like Vegas again. Right. If you keep on losing <laughs> money, nobody's going to come back to you. Yeah. I, I'm very happy with that condo that I bought at the gray. Uh, it rents very well and tenants very happy with it. It's been a great investment. Yeah. And I'm happy to provide another home to the, you know, um, short supply of rental properties yeah. in the city. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, who do you think is providing the rental supply? It's well, the investors. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But you know, for the most part it is. Um, so you got the best location in Surrey ground zero, so to speak, in terms of proximity to the, the core of the city, call it core to make it obvious. Um, it's not going to be the cheapest, but it's going to be the best, you know, the best location. It's going to be this West side Vancouver kind of level of finishing coming to Surrey. Um, I mean, the best location, that proximity to SkyTrain, it's kind of like the value of that. I was talking to Nick the other day or some, someone else in the office that we need to do a study. I, th I see it like waterfront where the, that really nice, very close, convenient location, high speed transit is very valuable. And, um, just like waterfront as you move, you know, across the street, you know, with waterfront example, but as you move farther away from that, it's sort of, uh, I can see the graph and the values, you know, dissipating a lot. I think we should analyze that to see like in the long term how that works, you know, how those numbers play out in terms of the value of that real estate. So here we are in this location, right at the very, very core. Um, is there anything else about the building that you can tell us any sort of secrets? 
Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be a secret for long, but, um, and you already know this, but, um, and I guess you can cut it out if you don't want it included, but uh, <laughs> uh, we're bringing in a, it's, it's been seen, but is not the original. So this is the original inventors of the, it's, it's a tuck away furniture system. Uh, you know how Murphy beds work, you know, they go up in the wall, they're still there, right? They're ugly, you know, they don't function uh, well. Um, but we're bringing in a, a company from the U.S. They're, they're, they're based in New York, but their head company is based in uh, um, yeah, the West Coast, and it's Google. Um, the company's called Ori. So what they do is they, um, they have this bed that goes up into the ceiling, when it's not in use and it comes down when it is. And, um, um, yeah, I think you're, yeah, Nick's going to put up a picture, but it's, it's a very smart system and it, uh, you don't have to fold your bed. A lot of those kind of systems out there, you have to make your bed all nice. And you know, the, 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 if one piece of blanket gets stuck, the whole thing comes down, but this is, it's just so much tolerance. There's like, like a foot and a half, on top of your bed when it's tucked away so your pillows whatever you can leave anything you want on the bed and just tuck it away nice and uh, it cleans up your room and there's you know there's other systems where but that's the that, that's one of their flagship products and uh we're bringing in two to three of their products to the core building uh including their uh closet organizers so essentially what it does it doubles the room it, it doubles yeah. the functionality and the space of your living like of your living room um and um w without adding any more costs you know to pay extra for the square footage but you get to use it mm -hmm. right that's awesome for anyone living in a, any type of a studio or any type of open floor plan concept like that issue of like making your bed making your bed look yeah. nice and well that's that. how we came up with the idea is we sat down in a circle and we said how how are we going to sell these 300 something square foot studios? Cause people are going to buy these and be like, no, this is too small. I can't live here. Like this is, I can't do anything here with my bed in the middle. And you know, there's nowhere to cook, nowhere to sit, nowhere to have guests. Right. And even for those single people that wants to date they can't have, you know, it's, it's their bed is right in the living room. It doesn't work. Right. So how can we solve that problem? Because there's so little innovation in real estate because it's, you know, it's the oldest industry, one of the oldest industries out there. It's, it's you know, it's when time started, housing started, right? Like yeah. people were looking for homes. There's no innovation on how we live, right? So we thought, how can we innovate? Mm -hmm. And um, we put our heads together and we found this. And we said, wow, this is no wonder Google invested in it, right? So we reach out to them. They're more than happy to come in the Canadian market. They're not here yet, but they will be. Um, and they showed us data and we said, yeah, it works. And we now they're here. You know, there's shipments on their way. Um, it's going to be installed this October and we'll get to see it. Cool. Yeah. That's going to be really nice. I love, I love design that adds functionality. Yeah. It's just the best. I mean, design to make stuff look good is real nice, but design that adds functionality that creates value. I love it. And that idea that you can just sort of straighten up your bed just enough and, and hit a button and watch it disappear. Well, you don't have to hit a button. It's Google. You just ask Google to do it. You say, hey, Google, <laughs> hey, Google make my bed. bed. And then it raises the bed. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. And we're going to have that in the display. We will. We'll have two. Nice. Um, one of the bed and one of the closet organizers. 
it's it's you, you you can find a lot of these videos on instagram on like the most innovative way to live right like it's like uh apartments in dubai right like people yeah. usually that's what their hashtag is but really it's in the u.s it's in new york and um we're bringing two other systems here one is the organizer one is the bed so the bed is it's is it, you know is their uh flagship but the organizer essentially it's when you close it it's a tv wall and when you open it it becomes a desk so you can work inside and it has bookshelves it has um you can have closet options there's a pull-out table uh, and, and a lot of things and the best part is you don't have to take your chair out of the way there's a space built in so your chair can fold right into it as long as it's not too tall or too uh, uh too big that's cool yeah I love it. Yeah, I encourage people to come and see it when the just for that. Like you don't, they don't have to buy a home. Yeah. All they say is they they heard it on Good Talks and they wanted to come and see it. We're not going to sell them on anything. Yeah. I was just I just want to show them. This is just something I want to show off. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it'll be good. Um so what's what's next? What's your I mean you're running things at Westland. What's the Yeah, what's uh, I mean, been running things for a couple of years now. Um but uh, my next kind of aspiration is the rental market. So I think that's, you know, it's on one end of the spectrum, housing is getting, you know, it's, it, it's, it's getting more and more expensive, right? But what is on the other side of that spectrum is people can't afford homes. You know, that's hopefully where I can come in. It's, you know, steering people towards Westland rental homes. Right, purposeful rental homes. That's uh, that's actually the first one's going up in Burnaby. Yeah, yeah. We got a hundred and sixty-seven units coming in Burnaby in the next. I say it's been approved, actually almost approved. Um, just when the guys over at City Hall decides to stamp it, but um, once that is approved, hopefully next year we'll get into the ground, and that's going to be a hundred and seventy units of purpose-built rental right on top of the SkyTrain station. Cool. Yeah. Badly needed. Yeah, I think so too. Like they're asking, how can developers solve this issue? Yeah. <laughs> you know, approve our projects faster and let us build our goddamn rental buildings, right? Do you hear that as a developer? I know you're you in Surrey you sit on the BIA, the Business Improvement Association. Not so much on the Business Improvement Association, because the BIA is all about business, how we can drive more people there, right? My my what I advocate for is better businesses, right? And how do we achieve better businesses? They're always asking, like City Hall is saying, oh, how can we get a Browns Social's house or, you know, like a, a Cactus Club to come into Surrey Center? Well, you can't right now. There's no way. Because as any business owner, especially of a high-end restaurant chain like that, who's going to eat there? How do you expect businesses to come? How do you do that? You do it with nicer housing. You do it with triple a offices and that's you know hopefully that's what we're addressing now is we're building triple a offices premier homes right on top of the SkyTrain to hopefully or at least 430 families at a, at a time bring those people here right yeah. and once the clientele comes the business will come mm -hmm. right it's the other way around it's it's like they were asking pci can you build a movie theater here once well, the pci said we'd love to but we'll send a plex buy in right like no it's not yet not yet. I think it's a matter of time. Yeah. And that's all planned for Surrey City Center neighborhood? It, it, it should be. Yeah. Yeah, it should be. I think so. 
Um, what about the retail of your building, Core? Core is going to be retail that services the traffic there. So fast food service, um, quick service restaurants, um, convenience stores, but uh, but generally higher end, right? Like we're not going to see a pizza by the slice, right? We're going to see like hopefully get like a Chipotle or like a um, like a pizzeria or something, right? A fast service pizzeria that makes custom pizzas. Italian pizzas. Um, that's what I foresee. We've yeah. already pre-built all the HVAC. So uh, restaurants, it, it can be fitted out 100% with restaurants. And we got second floor retail there as well. Mm-hmm. So if we do get, like, say, a, draw, a shopper's drug mart or um, uh, another uh, retail business that, that operates there, uh, they'll have the second floor as well. Yeah, cool. but that's, you know, we're trying to change it up a bit. It's not to say we're going to offer more expensive options, but we're going to offer more premium options that serves the right demographic. And hopefully people will come. And you're going to sell the office in the building too? Yes, we're going to sell the offices, that's um, nice. but we're going to control that's that rare. process. Usually developers keep those. They do. They do. Um, but I think our capital is more suited towards future developments than holding that. I want to build Westland as quickly and as fast and as big as possible. And yes, holding on to retail, holding on to space, passive income is great and all, but that's where my rental side comes in. Right. I think for the uh, business side, for the uh, office side, I you know, don't get me wrong. I'm thinking about my kid, right? I'm thinking about leaving something for them, but you know, she's three and a half years old. And if I do have a second one, she's not even, he or she is not even born yet. So I'm not really worried at this time. I think I want to build Westland fast, quick and have more bargaining power with the cities. And that way, by the time they grow up, you know, like I am, you know, I got a lot of time to own, own that space, right? It is great space. I'm walking to away from, but mm-hmm. Think about how many other people will see value in owning that type of space. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's a unique opportunity for someone to own office or to buy office for their kids, you know, thinking they'll use it once they're done university or, or, uh, whatever. It's pretty unique. Again, most yeah, it is. It. Yeah. You, people think Surrey, it's kind of like a second tier market. I don't think so. The, the amount of wealth, the amount of, I, I think you told me this actually, <laughs> the amount of wealth, the amount of power that the people that lives in Surrey, based out of Surrey, has it's beyond what we expect operating in Vancouver, yeah. right? It's, it's you know, when they're buying, they're buying like 10 homes at a time, right? It's, yeah. You don't see that here ever. Yeah. yeah. No, there's a lot more wealth and power in that community than, than people uh, think for sure or give them credit for, so to speak. Um, I love the community in Surrey. I love the immigrant story. It's like so many other immigrant stories, like... You know, you have a good one, um, you know, with your own family, you know, I've got mine, but you know, the typical kind of like recent family immigration story in Surrey is, you know, the dad, uh, you know, the couple usually that, that comes here and dad does two jobs, uh, full time, um, saves everything that he possibly can. Um, and you know, within seven years is buying real estate, not renting, and by the time their kids are like of an age that they, you know, need to uh, yeah. get help. By I, I, I love to say that's where we started, right? Like, yeah. That's a great story. It's inspiring, but uh, I'm not going to lie, right? Like it's, I had a 
I, I had the fortune of being able to have a a more forward starting point. It's like a race, right? It's like a marathon, right? Like, yeah, we're still going to run, right? Like we're still going to run, but is I'm not starting from where everybody else is starting. And that's, you know, where if, but if I don't keep up, if I don't keep my pace, everybody else is going to catch up. Yeah. Right. So yes, I admire a lot of the people that, you know, started with nothing and build everything from their, you know, to working two jobs, working three jobs, you know, to support their family, eventually owning real estate. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately for me, I can't right say that. But again, if I don't keep up with the hard work, if I don't keep up with reputation, you know, eventually people stop buying our homes. We're going to be, you know, we're nothing, right? We're going to be back right back at even worse than where everybody else was because we got so much debt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not alone. There's so many uh, good second generation developers in our city. You know, lots of the older brands that people recognize are Italian, you know, where they're first generation, the dads, you know, moved here and they built a house never sold it, rented it out, built a second one, you know, and these companies are now called like Boza and Ani and these type of things. Yeah. Right? And there's nothing to be ashamed of here. No, right? that's the second generation that came in and, and saw this foundation laid by the first generation and then just 10 X it. Yeah. But if, you know, if you think about it, if they, you know, slacked off, they partied all day long, they'd be in worse shape than a lot of people that just rent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I agree with you. It's, um, but then again, your heart, your starting point is higher, but you got to work twice as hard to keep up. Right. Because if you don't, it's, you know, a game over. Cause you, you had it easy in the beginning, right. When other people were working their asses off to, you know, try to start something, you know, you're, you know, I'm off and, you know, going to school, partying with girls and all that kind of stuff. And if I, you know, it's, they already went through that hard work, right? I didn't have to, but now I have to work twice as hard in order to match your level of uh, work ethics, right? There's never a shortcut. That's a good attitude. Yeah. There's never, it's, you know, you might, you might save some time here, but you know, <laughs> you know, if you just, it's like the, 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 uh, the hare and the tortoise race, right? It's, you know, yeah, you, you, you're, you're off to a running start and you start sleeping and slacking off halfway through, you know, eventually you're going to lose. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I totally believe in that. Are there any developers in town that you admire? Any that kind of come to mind? Yeah, I, I do. You know, it's, I wouldn't say admire, but I would say I like to study what it is that they did and try to replicate it right admire it's i admire my my dad right but i wouldn't say i admire other people right i i um i see what they're doing and i you know i, I you know i i yeah i guess you could say admire right i think what they're doing is great but uh like boza for example same kind of scenario as our family um just 30 years before us right and um you know hopefully in 30 years, you know, somebody could say they could admire what I'm doing. Right. And, um, just back to where we started, it's, you know, 30 years later, it's, you know, people seeing me for, and respecting my dad who started it. Right. Like, yeah, Robert Boza, he did great, but you know, look who's running the show now. Right. They're respecting Robert because they're his sons built it even bigger and greater. Right. Mm -hmm. That's cool. 
It's a cool vision. So what else do you have going on besides the real estate business? Uh, I mean, I have a couple of, um, you know, here and there investments, small investments here and there. Uh, try to diversify a little bit. But um, I'm also into uh, baby products. So I own, uh, I, I own part of this brand that we started here in Vancouver. It's just a couple of dads, like they had nothing to do during COVID. They, uh, they were all sitting um, at home with their newly uh, born kids and they're like, what do we do now? Right. Cause they were all like, like uh, the, the guy who runs the show now, his name is Garrett. Great guy. Actually a lot like you, you know, crazy tall. Uh, um, but uh, he used to, he, he used to be the uh, products designer for L'Oreal. And then he started a couple of uh, craft brewing companies here in Vancouver. And then during COVID, you know, he had a baby and he didn't know what to do. So, you know, we all sat down together and uh, we said, let's do, you know, this is a good business to be in. Let's start a baby brand. Look how much money we're spending on our babies. Yeah. Right. That's how the conversation started, right? Yeah. (laughs) And then, so, you know, off we went and uh, we started a baby brand. It's called Cork, Q-U-A-R-K, Cork Baby. Uh, we're, uh, now selling in all major retailers here in Vancouver. So like baby R us, Walmart, um, where else? Not like London drugs, shoppers. I don't know. No, not shop Loblaws. Uh, but yeah, we're, uh, all across, um, the major retailers here in Western Canada. And, uh, we just started uh, on the East coast. So, um, next our Amazon is, it's, you know, a great, uh, we actually got a call out from Elon Musk. <laughs> on Twitter. Really? Yeah, we did. Um uh of our um fruity, that one. Yeah. What is that product? So it's it's essentially it's a pacifier, non-pacifier. So what you can do is you open it up and you can load a piece of fruit into it and then the baby will chew on it. But then the top is gonna like go away, right? All the fruits are gonna go away and then everything's gonna be down the bottom. Yeah. And then that fruit goes to waste and, you know, it's like two minutes and it's gone. So what you can do with this is a first of its kind. So you twist the bottom and it's a propulsion system that pushes up. So the fruit gets pushed up and it's through silicone. So it's, you know, fruit safe, it's dishwasher safe. Unlike what's on the market now, now it's like mesh nets, like, like a mesh net, like yeah. a fish net. Gross. It's really gross. And it's really hard to clean too. And with silicone, you just throw in the dishwasher and you're good. All right. So that's our, that's one of our best selling products. And then we got the Feedy, which is a, a plate and a bib set for little kids. A story is like these um, uh, Tupperware containers that has a built-in ice pack on the top. And then our flagship product is the um, Foodie. It's a baby food processor. So there's a five-in-one processor um, that has a milk warmer built in. It has a food. So basically what we're trying to do was when a baby's so young, you can already buy this because when they're drinking milk, you're warming it up, right? So you buy it right now. You can use it as a milk warmer. When they get older, you can now make purees or you can make processed food. So you steam it and then you blend it and then you pack it into our uh, um, uh, silicone uh, storage containers. Yeah, but there's a five-in-one system, only one of its kind. Our biggest competitor is Biaba. It's a French company that uh, sells their food processors for like outrageous, like 300 something bucks on Amazon. And um, it's just, well, it looks nice, but it has like two functions, steam and blend. Ours has a lot more than that. And we're selling it for cheaper. Cool. Yeah. 
So uh, yeah, we're uh, now live everywhere. And uh, in the next year or so, we're hoping to be hitting the US markets and then the European markets and then back to Asia. Nice. Inspired by your baby girl. Exactly. Inspired by <laughs> a bunch of dads that were stuck at home with their kids. <laughs> <laughs> The silver lining of COVID. Exactly. But uh, no, I'm super grateful. I'm super grateful for my uh, for my daughter. She's uh, what we call an angel baby. She doesn't like uh, cry a lot. She doesn't uh, ask for too much. And uh, um, she's reasonable. She she can talk, reason, listen to reason now. So it's just great. Wow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's already past this time. Like this yeah. is more tailored towards younger kids. Yeah. And then next we're... Uh, launching um breast pumps and uh like uh, uh baby monitors baby heart rate monitors a whole ecosystem cool yeah that's so cool man it's so different i know it's i have feeling you have a good team working on this and you're oh, yeah. one of the founders but you don't spend a ton of time i spend fortunately i spend no time on it yeah. <laughs> um actually no i spent about four uh, i spent about a week a year on this Right, basically the quarterly meetings, uh, financial reports, and um, because hopefully one day we're trying to take this company public or um, start off something new. But uh, right now, it requires no attention from me, unlike yeah. my uh, baby. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's growing. It's growing. It's uh, we six xed it recently uh, with some uh, hedge funds coming in. So cool. It's uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's so cool. Not a bad little side project, side of your desk. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's happy to see, you know, people are always calling us the evil developers, right? So who's going to call us evil now? No <laughs> <laughs> making baby food stuff. Yeah, exactly, I mean, right? We're feeding your kids, right? <laughs> I know, I'm familiar with the evil developer thing. Yeah. So what about leadership? You know, young, you're so young. You know, yeah. you, you were, you had the confidence of your parents. I remember when we started working together way back in, uh, 2016, um, I remember, you know, to be totally honest, I remember questioning your parents. Um, I couldn't believe the, uh, it was shocking to me to see the, uh, authority that they gave you yeah, at I know. such a young age. And, and I questioned them and, and and had concerns at some points were making huge decisions and, and, and you're making them. And they said, no, we want them to learn. Yeah. And they just had so much faith And I'm sure there was, co you know, conversations over the dinner table, but they had so much faith in you in such a young age. Yeah. And that, that, you know, that built a lot of confidence for me as a young child, right? Like ever since I was say like 11 or 12, I, you know, my parents put me through these leadership camps, right, where I've never really myself because they're trying to develop you into a leader where I always felt like I'm just a natural leader, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, they're, they're, I went to like all these camps, all these summer camps where they try to teach you to be a leader. So they sound terrible. Oh, they, they do. <laughs> was it you terrible? know what? It was fun when it became co-ed. But... <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, um yeah it was it was generally but it, you know what it's a side story it's it's what got me oh it, it, that's what opened me up to the outdoors right that's where i love the outdoors that's you know that's why i bring my daughter out you know kayaking canoeing hiking all the time right? yeah it's, that's where they did the camps yeah that's where we did I bet. it was like here's some adversity 
you know, figure yeah. it out. Kind yeah. Of thing. But then they try to make you into leaders, right? Like, oh, go lead a bunch of kids. I'm like, it doesn't make sense to me, right? Like I'm like now I'm leading a bunch of professional adults that know their shit, right? Like, you know, you're, you're when you when you're 14, 15, you're trying to teach a bunch of five-year-olds, you know, order, it doesn't work that way, right? It doesn't develop leaders. You don't lead that way now. You don't treat these professional adults like a bunch of five-year-olds. Exactly. Does, it doesn't teach you anything, right? But um, my parents, you know, very early on, they had me sit in meetings. Even when we were back in China, I was like two years old, three years old. I can't remember exactly what happened, but I do have like images in my head of remembering crawling in the middle of the meeting table, like just running down the middle. Because in China, like in, in the 90s, there were... Um, uh, all these meeting tables had a big like dip in it and they put flowers and like all kinds of shit inside. And um, uh, I remember because I, I always felt like that was like my boat, right? Like I always felt like I was in a boat. So yeah. I sat in the middle and then my dad and his official like meetings were happening. And uh, I just be sitting in the middle, like running around, sliding, yeah. right? So like pretending I'm driving a boat and nobody said like anything to me. <laughs> they're just like you, you do you right yeah and my dad was like okay every so often he would be like okay like be quiet just listen i don't need you to learn anything just listen right and that was up till like i was six or seven and then we came here and it was back to start right and then he would go to site meetings when he was in construction and he would like ask me to stand by him and translate not only translate but actually ask me for my opinions. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And that's where I really learned how to express myself, right? It's look, if I like something, I like something. If I don't, you got to change it. Right. And, um, I don't know if you remember, but I remember being very cocky when I first started. I do remember. I remember being like, <laughs> I, I remember feeling like I was a shit, right? Like, <laughs> like, like I'd be in a room and everybody had to listen to me. But as I got into this more and more, I felt like, okay, it's not just about calling the shots. It's about respecting the people that you're working with. Right. And uh, that's where you earn the respect. It's not given to you. So you're right in a sense where you think my parents were crazy, but without that, I would never have gone through the accelerated learning process of where I am now. Right. Because now I feel like rather than leading with fear or leading with the confidence my, that my parents gave me, I'm leading with reason, right? I'm leading with respect. And hopefully that, you know, my coworkers would um, iterate, uh, ir um, echo that. But yeah, I guess, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, it's worked out pretty good, man. I mean, here you are still very young and, you know, coming on 10 years experience. Yeah, man, trust me, I don't feel young. Like <laughs> all my friends growing up were at least five years older than me. Like ever since I was like 14, I had like 18 year old friends that would really? like teach me how to smoke, teach me how to drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, and even my friends now they're in their forties. Yeah. A lot of people I have dinner with that my family has dinner with are in their forties, right? Like one of my, um, one of my close friends, he's the, uh, head of pediatrician at, uh, BC children's and, um, he's, his son went to school with me. Really? That's where we made the connection. Yeah. And now I connected more with his dad than my classmate in high school. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now him, him, his dad and me were friends, which is great because yeah. now that I have a daughter, 
I don't have to wait in line to see the pediatrician, right? <laughs> yeah. But we, you know, the friendship be, began way before that, right? That's so yeah. weird. I can't imagine meeting someone and being more friends with their dad. Yeah, I've I, this always been the case for me. Like my dad's friends never really treat me like a kid. Cause like on the dinner table and I was like 16 and right? they were like pouring me drinks. They're like, here, how some I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, of course what 16 year old wouldn't. Yeah. But no, it's, 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 I don't know. It's hopefully it's the way I carry myself, but um, yeah. I don't see people. I don't see myself from other people's perspectives. Right. So I don't know yeah. exactly what it is, but I just feel like it's the opportunities that my dad gave me when I was a kid yeah. that allowed me to be who I am today. Yeah. It's the opportunity to really express everything that I felt. But again, then again, you know, if I, if I wasn't the boss's kid, I wouldn't get to express myself. Right. So I'm very fortunate. Yeah. You've been yeah. honest about that. I mean, you said it's a race and you're in it, but yeah, you got a, you got a great head start, but you got to, you know, just keep pushing and, and going as hard as you can. Yeah. I think every generation should surpass their previous generation, yeah. like the Bozas, right? Like it's, my father was, is a lot more successful than my grandpa ever was. And, um, hopefully his, his like dream is for me to be 10, a hundred times more successful than he is. Mm. And that leaves me to feel like, or to, to think like my daughter should be even greater than, yeah. you know, the best that I will ever be. Right. Yeah. And even now, I, I, I don't know if you guys were at that meeting. Like, I think, he, I think Nick was here, but my daughter was just sitting there. Like I was just, I wasn't there. No, she was, I, I don't think it was with you guys then, but it was like, um, one of the meetings. So it was a big meeting too. It was a lot of people there, uh, with outside consultants. And, uh, I had my three-year-old daughter just sit there. Just listen. Old school. Yeah. Old school. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, that's how I grew up. Right. Yeah. And, uh, she shouldn't get any special treatment either, but, um, it's, it's, the, you know, you, you learn from the battleground. Right? Like, you know, it's, I don't remember a single thing I learned in school. Everything I know now it's money that I've lost or paid through real life exercises, right? Like real life decisions. This decision led us to lose a hundred thousand dollars. I'll never make that again. This decision sped up our process by three months and saved us $200,000. I'm going to keep on doing that. Right. Everything I do now is lessons that I've learned through real life battle. And that's why I treat business as right. Yeah. Development as is a battleground for people to see who's better. And, um, you know, if you're more dedicated, if you spend more hours, I think, you know, it's, you can't really go wrong there. Yeah. I feel the same way about university. I've said that I've like, I learned as much rowing in university as I did at in class at university about myself and, you know, what I was capable of and the dynamics of, you know, competition and discipline rewards of it, things like that. But now in business, my experience has been the same. I don't remember with the classes, you know, organizational behavior and finance and that yeah. kind of stuff. It's, you gotta wonder nowadays whether going to university is even a good idea or not or whether it's better just to sort of jump into the world into whatever thing you want to do and yeah. just start doing it. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, I don't know where I saw this. I saw it somewhere. So like a TikTok post or something, but it was one of the uh, uh, TV personalities. You said that the 
process of learning is always more important than the actual things you learn, right? Like how many of us remember algebra, right? Like, or calculus that we learned in school. Those are all mandatory courses, right? We all pass those tests, but how many people remember exactly how those equations work? Or, you know, the the mandatory, you have to memorize these equations. It can't be open book. You can't have a cheat sheet. Remember those. And right after the exam, you forget about it, right? Two months after, you never even learned it. So what's the purpose of doing that, right? I still think school is important because the process of learning information wires your brain to figure out how to find solutions to problems. So yes, today is applied to algebra or to physics or to... Uh, uh, calculus, but tomorrow it might be, how do I save $100,000? How do I make $100,000 in business, right? It's, here's a problem. How do I resolve this? Mm -hmm. And the research process that you went through in school will help you with that. Yeah. Um, But that, I mean, mean, at least it did with me, not in university, actually. I I barely learned shit in university. I was (laughs) drinking half the time, right? But, um, yeah, that's what I'm saying too. I don't, I, I did learn things about myself rowing and, um, I even learned things about myself, like going way, way back to like street fighting and stuff like that. But I learned more about, you know, how to get through stuff and how to solve problems and, and how to win and be successful in life than I did in those classrooms for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think rowing is much better than sitting in school, right? Because, you know, not only do you build up your muscle strength, you look great, right? Uh, but you learn um, integrity, right? You learn teamwork and strength building, right? There's so much you can learn from just rowing, right? Same with anything else, all the other activities, sports, right? And it's, it's a different type of learning. It's not, you know, it's not like school is a huge waste of time. It's a lot about discipline, about it, being able to it make is. a tough decision. Yeah, it's how do you put in two more hours after yeah. everybody else already went through a full day of school, yeah, right? Exactly. To roll, right? Like it's, it's discipline. I think that's, that's what you learn, right? Yeah. yeah, it is. And that's what you've been talking about, like... You know, you don't get mistaken for being older or treated, you know, the way you've been treated by, you know, at first your dad's friends and now your friend's dads, which is kind of interesting. Um, but you do it by, you know, just not being drunk all the time, by being out there doing interesting stuff that, that holds the interest. Of, yeah, uh, trust me, I, it's, it's, it's one part of me wishes that I could be drunk all the time, right? Yeah. And I see my, my my Instagram all the time, right? Like all the people that I went to school with, especially university with, yeah. they're drunk like every single day. I'm like, <laughs> how do you do this, right? You're like 30, yeah, right? And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's still young relatively, but still like, how do you do that, right? I'm like, like I go to bed at 11 and I can like I, and and I wake up at like seven thirty and I'm already like like this is I'm already tired right you go <laughs> you go to like drink till four a.m. five a.m. and then the next day you, you keep going and it's just like how do you do that right I can't even get, yeah it's just, it, it it blows my mind that how people bodies even change differently to the environment like now I'm just I feel like I'm an old person. Just starting to get my like white hairs in. So, are you? Yeah. <laughs> I just dyed it on, yeah, before I went on vacation. Really? Yeah. How? I guess shampoo or something? What do you mean? Well, how do you, you mean you put like a colored shampoo in your hair? No, 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 no. I just dyed it black. Oh, really? Yeah. No, because I had white hair growing on the sides. Yeah. So before I left, I had yellow. You should keep that. 
Makes no, I should. I should, but my wife hates it. Really? <laughs> she's like, all my, she's like, because my wife and I were the same age. Yeah. We're, we're 29, right? So um, actually, she's a bit older. So she's about to turn 30. But um, she keeps on saying that all my family, all my friends from school keep on saying that I married an old guy. Really? For money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm teasing her about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just tell them, yeah. You marry some <laughs> some guy in their 50s. and <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's funny, man. It was a fresh, it was a, it was a good, uh, it was good in Vegas because I kept on getting carded. And I was like, yes. Yeah. People yeah. think I'm Gold under 21. 21. Yeah. But, you, um, yeah. Heard I paid off. You know, I was interested in, you're talking about like every generation wants to do better than generation before. And I think that's true in, in most every culture, it's what kids want and it's what parents want for their kids. Yeah. Um, what is the, there's a myth about the third generation of wealth though. Have you heard of this? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It's, um, uh, in Chinese is, uh, fu fu so fu it means, fu no, fu, fu bu Oh, sorry. So it's like, if you're rich, you won't be rich for more than three generations. Is that oh. kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it, it's basically saying this. It's like the first generation of wealth, they built everything from the ground up, right? They they uh, they fought for everything. They, they talked about that. Yeah. So the second generation then has it easy, right? Because let's say your dad made $2 billion. Head start. And you get a head start yeah. and then start slacking off. Right. But they saw dad do it though. So they have something to well, reference. Not everybody decides to go on that path. Right. Mm -hmm. They feel like, okay, well, why don't I take the easy way? Why well, I should be partying and, you know, dating women or whatever. Right. Like yeah. their, their priorities aren't in business, aren't in to carry on the torch. And they feel like, okay, I'm going to party all the time. And then the th when they have a kid, because typically these kind of people, they have kids very young too, right? Like in their twenties, like me actually, but, um, they have their kids very young. And, um, by the time their kid grows up, their fathers would have already lost all that wealth, half of it, more than half of it. Let's say the dad earned $500 million over the lifetime. Yeah. The kids, you know, the, his child, his kid or son or daughter, whatever is wastes away 200 something million dollars and then down to the third generation it's the amount of wealth is the it's decreasing as time progresses rather than increasing because money eventually is not going to be worth anything right like it's um in in uh in in, in like the in the 80s ten thousand dollars would have got you a lot further than it would now, right? And then now you earn $10,000 in Vancouver. You, you know, you can't even live here for more than three months, right? But in the 80s or 70s, $10,000, you're, you're wealthy, right? So $500 million today may not mean what it can do in, you know, 30, 40 years or even 50 years, right? $500 million in 50 years might be worth, you know, what $500,000 is worth today. So if they do not keep up with diversifying or investing and just continuously spends their money, their bank account is going to continuously drop in number rather than grow. You need to keep on growing because money is going to be worth less and less every single day. Mm -hmm. That's what it means by second, third generation of wealth. It's, it's a lot of people lose that after the second generation, lose that aspiration to fight for yeah. what is yours, right? I hear you. And that's something that's taught to me very young. It's, you're not a second generation. 
you need to become a rich first generation. The same with your kids, yeah. same with your kids. That's what you need to educate them on. So it's about like this, the growth of the first generation and maintaining that, you know, and it's, it's related yeah. to being better. It's, it's bringing your starting line to a much further point, but it doesn't mean you don't have to compete in the race. Yeah. Right. If you just, okay, I'm going to sit here until everybody catches up, but they've already been running. They've been exercising their heart rate. You know, you know, their, their bodies are, are tuned to this, right? They're going to like, if you start now, they're going to surpass you by miles. Yeah. You got to keep on running the same amount of time as they have because, yeah. because the gun goes off at the same time. Right. Yeah. So the second, third generation needs to continue the hard work in order to maintain wealth. Wealth is not something that is given, in my opinion. You can be given, like, you know, that's why lottery winners, a lot of them loses everything because they were given a huge chunk of money, but they don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Right? It's also a thing around norms, too, where they're just not, they're uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. It's uncomfortable being suddenly extremely rich, right? So they subconsciously even bring themselves back to what they do what they're they feel like they have to prove something right like i have to show everybody how rich i am or else they won't they they think i'm you know poor right if i go buy a lamborghini or ferrari in order to show it but you know you see the real wealthy people you know they have their two million dollar cars parked in a garage and you know they're probably you know, driving a Tesla or whatever, right? Like it's, it's, you know, driving normal cars, right? They don't need to show that off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you driving these days? I, I drive a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Nice. Same as you. Same yeah. as you. I just got it. I picked it up. Love it. Good. Yeah. Glad. Still a fan, still an advocate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've been driving electric since, uh, this is forever. My first electric before Tesla was out was an electric Kia. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I leased it. Then I bought out the lease and I just sold it for, um, I think more than what I bought the lease for, which I think is a pretty good deal. Well, it is. For, yeah. yeah. It's, but I, I, all these years later, it's the trend. It's the eventuality of things. Electrics, yeah. it, gas, it's, it's going to go away. Like by 2035. Like there's no more gas cars. I think half of the inventory of dealers have to be electric. Yeah. We were, um, well, the gas I, stations are going away. They are. And they get more and more annoying. Well, they're mandated to have electric charging stations there or, or else they pay a crazy amount of tax. Right. Um, I was just with a friend. I didn't know that. Cause I sometimes have seen these stations in some new kind of strip malls, like one near where we keep the boat. And, uh, it makes no sense for there to be an electric charging station in this location. But there has to be. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. There has to be eventual. It's eventuality. Like it, it, eventually gas is going to go away and electric is going to take over. Right. I think, um, it's just a matter of time when people make the switch. Um, I was at the, uh, I had a friend, he was like, I'm going to order a Rolls Royce. I'm like, okay, I'll go down with you. I'll just, uh, you know, I haven't seen a Rolls Royce, the new ones, and I want to see what it is, right? Like, I, I'd never drive it, but I wanted to see it. And then they were speaking with a dealer, and they said they, they said that, oh, just wait a couple more months. They're like, Rolls Royce is discontinuing all of their two-door, um, two-door coupes, and it's going to be full electric. So I'm like, oh, even cool. the oldest, one of the oldest yeah. engine manufacturers, the manufacturers of Boeing engines is turning electric. So it's just a matter of time. 
Yeah. Yeah. Before I think so too. I think so about boating, but that's partly because I'm just obsessed with boating, but I can't wait for, uh, I mean, there's silent yachts. There's just very little uh, electric boats, green line, but there's going to be more and more coming out. And I'm super excited for it because I love the ocean too. And the, it's sort of ironic that people that love the ocean spend so much time on it and these gas guzzling pigs of boats, including myself. Yeah. You know, um, when you're talking about ocean, I, I have a love and hate relationship with the ocean <laughs> because um, I was always forced to scuba dive when I was younger. That'll do it. Yeah. My dad was like, oh no, you need to get your like master's. Yeah. You need to get your master's scuba diver license. Blah, blah, blah. Or, uh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be the best at everything. And I was constantly got forced to go scuba diving. So I hate going out in the water because I don't know if you like scuba dive here in Vancouver is horrible. Like <laughs> I it's, heard it was good. It's I not mean, tropical, but it, I, I, I still scuba dive recreationally when I go to tropics, like when I go to Cancun or like Mexico, I would always scuba dive there, but you go down in shorts here. You got to put on four layers of clothes. Yeah. Another layer of dry suit. Yeah. That sucks. And you're pinched up. You know, you're uncomfortable and you got to jump in the water and swim in it. Like the cold water that you can only see the tip of your fingers when you stick your hands out. Like it's, it's, it's like, I'm like, why it did sounds that? so bad. It's, it does sound bad, but you know, I still enjoy the off occasion where I get to be on the water. It's like the last time you took me out and that was pretty good. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do it again. Yeah. Are you a new boat? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Any excuse. It's a business meeting. Gotta go. Exactly. <laughs> Well, thanks for coming in, man. This has been so fun. Yeah, yeah, no, appreciate being here. Appreciate the opportunity. The first, this is the first time I'm doing this, but it's uh, a lot more relaxing than I thought it would be. Well, that's. Uh, I'm glad. That's what we want. We want you to have a good time, and and yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. So let's do it again. Yeah, soon. no, thank you. Maybe after uh, the launch of Core in October. Yeah, let's definitely do one after that. Yeah. I want to hear my own thoughts. Of you know, uh, I want to I want to record it session of my thoughts after that launch. All right, <laughs> all right, I'm down, I'm down. Let's do it. Thanks, man.